Paris Perspective. Hello and welcome to this edition of Paris Perspective with me, David Coffey. As we fast approach the French presidential and legislative elections set for April, the bookies have their pens to paper, eagerly watching how the opinions of the French electorate are swinging. As the contenders for the Elysee Palace have thrown their hat into the ring, even though President Emmanuel Macron is biding his time before officially declaring that he will stand for a second five-year mandate. Now, to gaze into the political crystal ball, I'm joined today by Bruno Jean Bart, who is Vice President of Opinion Way, one of France's most highly regarded research and polling agencies, for an assessment of how the French are feeling in the run-up to the vote. Bruno, you're very welcome to Paris Perspective today. Hello, thank you. Now, no matter what the realities are, political spin doctors will always claim that polls, wherever they come from, are wrong when the tide appears to be going against their chosen candidate, the people that they work for. How should people digest opinion polls when they see them in the press these days? Statistics can, at the end of the day, be manipulated. Well, I, I, I would say that we have to be careful about the data for the moment because we are still far away from the election. And we know that uh, the, the, the closest we are uh, to the election, the, the best the, the polls are uh, comparing to the final result. Uh, we know that before 50 days before the election, it's still very far away to uh, be sure that what is shown by the data is going to be what will, uh, will occur in, in, the, in the polling station. So... So let's be uh, uh, cautious about that. Uh, I don't think it's possible to be manipulated. Mm. Uh, The polls can be wrong. Uh, It happens not so often, and especially in the French presidential election, which is traditionally uh, quite well predicted by the polls, but it can happen. So we still have to wait and to be a bit closer to the election. Indeed, that does bring me back uh, five years to 2017, where, when we look back then, Emmanuel Macron was essentially unheard of outside of France, and even within François Hollande's administration, he didn't appear too often in the media. We all know that he's uh, quite media reticent, uh, media shy uh, himself. Uh, In March of 2017, how was Macron polling back then? Well, in March, he was already uh, ahead in the polls mm. and leading the race, uh, but uh, very close with Le Pen, and at the end, he was first before Le Pen. But in January, if we took this example of 2017, he was not the favorite, and we still we were still expecting at that the same period five years ago that the second run and the runoff will be against, uh, will be uh, Le Pen against uh, Fillon, the conservative candidate. So it shows that January is still early in the French presidential race. Sure thing. Now, indeed, um, looking back uh, to the hot candidate back then, that was indeed uh, François Fillon, who was um, the chosen uh, representative of the, well, the traditional centre-right Les Républicains party. Uh, Now, looking back then, one could say that François Hollande, the socialist president, uh, essentially imploded the traditional centre-left by not standing for a second term because he polled so poorly. But could anyone have predicted back then the collapse of the centre-right, Les Républicains, in the wake of François Fillon and the scandal that brought him down, which then led to the meteoric rise of uh, Emmanuel Macron? No, it was difficult to, uh, to expect. And, of mm. course, uh, uh, everybody was very surprised about 
the affair itself and the impact of the affair. But what was already uh, predictable at that time uh, was that there was a, another a new candidate, which was Emmanuel Macron, who was Emmanuel Macron, and this candidate was able to be a surprise and maybe uh, to be the new uh, candidate that would lead uh, the left uh, parties uh, uh, in the race, because uh, at that period, uh, the uh, socialist primary uh, to, to choose a candidate uh, replacing François Hollande was already in, in, in huge difficulties. And just a little aside here, François, um, sorry, Emmanuel Macron uh, tried to make a, uh, a great entrance onto the world stage by um, arriving in a speedboat up the Seine to declare his uh, candidacy. Uh, you being uh, in the research and the polling kind of industry, how did people, how did the French electorate uh, react to that little uh, stunt that he pulled back then? I think when when he resigned from the uh, as a minister in, in August uh, 2016 and he declared his candidacy, I, I think uh, nobody was really predicting that he would become the next president of France. Mm. Uh, he had nothing to be the next president. He was too young uh, compared to uh, the last presidential election. He was without any political party, any traditional support. So it was really a, a great surprise, which had a lot of uh, reasons. Uh, you talk about the, uh, the, the, the the renouncement of, of uh, François Hollande to, uh, to, uh, to be again a candidate. Uh, you talk about the scandal about François Fillon. All this obviously uh, really changed the course and the, the way the, the presidential race uh, occurred five years ago. And now, recently in a, uh, a book that you have written, um, you described Emmanuel Macron in the title of the book as the président anormal or the abnormal president. I think that would be better maybe translated as the accidental president. Why do you call him this? Why do, did you choose that title? Because, as I said, he really broke all the rules, mm. uh, which was driving the presidential elections in France before that. I mean, normally you you needed to have a long political career uh, to have been uh, elected before uh, as a mayor or as an MP. Uh, you needed to be supported by a political party, uh, and everything on was not the case uh, for Emmanuel Macron. And so it, it, it seemed that what happened was the consequences of, of, of the rejection by the population and the voters of the traditional left and right. Uh, but uh, it was also a, a, a small uh, amount of uh, uh, small cases that occurred. I mean, it could have been very different if François Hollande would have been again candidate at mm. the presidential election if there was not a scandal about uh, um, uh, François Fillon, the conservative candidates. And even if François Bayrou, the traditional centrist candidate, uh, decided to run again, as he did in 2002, 7 and 12. Now, recently, um, your agency, Opinion Way, has put Macron um, in the lead of well, the list of potential candidates or people who have already declared, who've declared their candidacy. Um, you've put Macron at 24%, followed closely behind by the national rally stalwart, that is, of course, Marine Le Pen, who's at 17%, who is herself neck and neck as things stand now with the traditional Les Républicains right-wing candidate Valérie Pécresse. Now, 
Here in January, you have mentioned that it is too early to really call it, but is that margin of between 24% and 17% enough to secure or to guarantee Macron will still be able to maintain that lead in the run-up to the primaries to secure a second round in the presidentials in April? Uh, of course, as 2017 showed us, uh, it's, we should never say never in, mm-hmm. in the presidential campaigns. But it seems that uh, his position is quite strong enough to be one of the two candidates of the of the of the second round. Uh, why? Because when you look at the, uh, what is going on with Macron, he's very stable for months. Uh, instead of the uh, pandemic crisis, instead of many things, uh, which shows that. He still has a strong uh, base support uh, from his voters of 2017. Uh, uh, so I would say that he should be uh, able to reach the, the second round. But we have to wait a bit uh, because there's on, always one issue for the incumbent in France is when he becomes candidate and no more president. Yeah. And it's not already the case with Macron, who hasn't declared a new candidacy for the moment. So... Uh, I would say that after one or two weeks when he will be declared as candidate, we will have the uh, a, a certainty about that uh, for the second round. And indeed, he'll have to follow all the rules as the other candidates with their media representation that he can enjoy as president to take up as much time as he wants if he wishes to go on national television. Um, but looking at the actual issues that are on the table or are purportedly on the table that are um, really uh, getting uh, the media going, uh, you know, the right wing, be it the, you know, the traditional centre-right or the extreme right, there is a hard right-wing ball being played with immigration and security being the key words on the hustings. Uh, Le Pen and Pécresse themselves are battling to try and win the hearts of both the moderate and the extreme elements of the right-wing. But when questioned in polling surveys, what appears to distinguish those two candidates when they're trying to woo their base electorate? I, I would say that for the moment, the most difference between uh, Le Pen and Pekas is the base that they have as voters. I mean, Le Pen is very strong with blue collar workers. Uh, uh, she uh, she's very strong also with uh, people with uh, low income, uh, low level of education, which is not the case of Pekas, which is much more traditionally as a conservative candidate, strong with white collar workers, uh, people with high level of education, with old voters, which is not the case for Le Pen, which is much more stronger with young voters. So it's a sociological uh, uh, cleavage, I would say, between them. Uh, but both, they are uh, re- trying to uh, gather the voters from the rural areas, which is the very important uh, part of the of the voters, 25% of the voters, and where Emmanuel Macron is weaker. Mm-hmm. Okay, very interesting there. The white versus blue collar voters that need to be uh, wooed there on the right wing. Um, however, one thing that is undeniable uh, in the run-up to the elections and to the whole campaigns that are getting going is souverainism or French nationalism uh, that is playing a key role in this election. There are lots of allusions to General de Gaulle, a bit of nostalgia thrown in there from all um, sides of the political spectrum, um, especially with right-wing candidates, you know, coming down hard on migrants, cleaning up ghettoized non-France uh, neighbourhoods, and then, of course, this rhetoric of reconquering uh, no-go zones. Um, is that really what's highest on the agenda for the average French voter? 
Well, yeah, it, it's a very, very important issue. I mean, when we look at the, uh, at the data that we have, uh, the most important issue for the moment is purchasing power, mm. people. Uh, and with uh, because of the increasing prices, uh, it, it's very uh, strong in the French population. But the second one is, is crime, and, and immigration is the fourth one. So it shows that uh, really this... Uh, uh, traditional uh, right-wing issues are very, very important in the in the French population at the moment, and it explains why we have this high level of vote for uh, in the voting intentions for the uh, uh, I would say the the, the large far right, uh, both Le Pen and Zemmour, and which are gathering about thirty percent of the voters, which is incredibly high uh, when we look at the record of the presidential election when. The highest was for Le Pen in 2017 with 21%. So uh, they are very, very strong issues. And, and they are also increased by the fact that most of the candidates think that it's one of the weaknesses of Emmanuel Macron. Mm-hmm. And it's more difficult to attack him on the pandemic crisis or on the economy than on this kind of issue. And indeed, you mentioned the Z word there. That is, of course, um, Eric Zemmour, who is the more extreme of the far right, um, the candidate, the polemicist, the uh, essayist uh, and former journalist, um, who is really Marine Le Pen's bête noire uh, on the political scene. Um, He arrived like a bombshell and he put out a wonderful launch campaign that was very reminiscent of President uh, General de Gaulle and uh, very very much looking back at a pastiche of things in the past, but also with very, very hard images of riots, of flames, and it was uh, something that uh, reminded me almost of a zombie movie. Of a zombie movie. Um, he came in like a bombshell, but will his thunder last? Will he really shake the foundations of the far right here in France? I, I think it, it, we're in between. I mean, what he missed is the fact that he has this strong dynamics in September, October, mm. but he, he missed to kill definitely uh, Marine Le Pen uh, by uh, being uh, ahead of her uh, in the voting intentions. And now uh, she's leading Zemmour by three to five points, depending on, on the day and, and on the polls, mm-hmm. uh, which is a problem for him because now, as you said, there is this neck-to-neck race between Le Pen and Pécresse. And so uh, some voters of, of Zemmour may think that it's not a, any more useful to vote for him and they should uh, much more uh, choose between Pécresse and Le Pen to define who's going to be uh, the opponent of, uh, of Macron on the, on the second round. The second problem that uh, he has, I think, is that uh, he could have been the French populist like Trump in the U.S., but he doesn't really want to play all the rules of the populist. I mean, it has a much more complex uh, uh, thought than the populists traditionally have. And, 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 and it's, I think, a, a problem. is in between here also, uh, between a very traditional populist movement, as we see in many countries, and a much more intellectual way of thinking. And what we see in the post that is that he's not able for the moment to catch the blue-collar workers to Marine Le Pen, which is very, very important in this race. Ah, indeed. Now, you did um, touch upon there now since uh, we've been discussing that, you know, Macron is facing difficult areas to really try and uh, gain a foothold um, from both the left and the right to, you know, really give an identity to the uh, La République en Marche party for a second mandate. Um, But... We haven't mentioned 
the COVID pandemic. I mean, do people who have been polled so far, do they feel that the present government has dealt with the COVID pandemic correctly? And indeed, you're talking about populism there. Uh, What about Macron's recent comments uh, about he's going to piss off the unvaccinated? Has that helped or hindered his popularity? I think uh, uh, when you look at, we, we have measured every week since now two years the way that people think the, the, the government is, is dealing with the pandemic crisis. And what we have seen is that during most of the time, people were dissatisfied with the way the, way the pandemic was, was ruled by, by the government, except during this autumn. Uh, from September to December, there was a quite strong majority saying and supporting the way the, the government was acting against the pandemic. It has changed really since uh, the uh, uh, Christmas period and, and, and especially in January. And now we are again 55% of the people who say they are not doing well with the pandemic. It's a problem with Macron because it means that, uh, of course, uh, uh, it's weakening him. And w- when you talk about the fact that he said he wants to piss off the unvaccinated, I think it was a mistake uh, because... Um, uh, you have to think. You have to know that in France, many people get, got the vaccine because they were obliged to. I mean, because of the decision of the government to say that if you are not vaccinated or if you don't have a, a negative test, you can't go to the restaurant, you can go to the cinema, you can go to the theater. So, I mean, it's not only about the ten percent who are still not vaccinated. This issue. It's also about all these people who are not in favor of the vaccine, but they accepted to do it. Because uh, because they were obliged to, and they can be quite upset by the, by the sentence of the president, especially in a period where everybody sees uh, uh, with his relatives or friends that now people get the uh, the virus, in, even if they are vaccinated, because sure. it seems like Omicron, uh, you are you have you don't have a strong uh, illness when you're vaccinated with Omicron, but you can get the vaccine and, and, and be positive at the virus. Indeed, it is cutting through uh, the populations here in Europe. Now, we haven't mentioned um, France's left wing. Um, I mean, um, you know, what we, we saw back in um, 2017, we have mentioned uh, the collapse of uh, the left wing following Francois Hollande's, uh, well, reticence to put himself up for a second mandate because he was so, polling so poorly. But what are the great hopes for the traditional left here um, there have been movements um, by, well, from the, the, the left, the big hitters such as uh, Tobira uh, Hidalgo and from the Greens, Jadot, of coming together in a grand coalition. Do you feel that will strike a chord with traditional left-wing voters? And where would um, La France Insoumise, the kind of the firebrand, far-left uh, leader Jean-Luc Mélenchon, fit within this coalition? Do you feel that it's likely and will it gather any traction in the coming months? I think it's a strong mess for the left now in mm. the presidential election. When you look at all the candidates, there are still seven or eight now. Uh, one of them uh, uh, withdrew yesterday, but there are still a lot. They are all polling at 25, 26% only, mm. which is really low. Uh, and and as there are many, uh, the, the first one is Mélenchon with nine or ten. Only. So it's really, very, very weak. Uh, one of the problems and one of the things that the left doesn't want to accept is that why are they so low? It's because 
a strong part of their voters are voting for Emmanuel Macron still. They were the voters who made the election of Macron in 2017, and they are still supporting him now. They come from the left, uh, and, and they are still with Macron. So that's a very strong issue that didn't were able to, to, to recover and to catch again these voters who went to Macron. For Mélenchon, I think um, it's probably going to be uh, an election uh, the last election for him, and maybe uh, a, a difficult election compared to 2017. He, he reached nearly 20%. Mm -hmm. I think if he's able to to, pull, to, to do at the end 10, 12, uh, it's going to be very high for him because uh, there was a, a lot of disappointment about Mélenchon during the last five years, uh, about the fact that he didn't try to uh, gather all the left uh, with him and to re rebuild something. And the second point was about his personal image. There was some uh, scandal or some uh, behavior that he had uh, during the period, which was really uh, uh, really uh, decreased the, the way he was seen by the French. Okay, and now finally, um, Bruno, uh, one of the, looking back at the first mandate of uh, President Macron, uh, one of if one can say the most explosive thing that happened during his presidency, apart from the COVID pandemic, was the Gilets Jaunes, the Yellow Vest movement that shook uh, the country to its foundations with protest after protest getting more and more violent uh, here in France. And that was, of course, over fuel hikes. And it really underlined the urban-rural divide here in uh, France. Um, let's just see now, in, when he will throw his name in the hat, or sorry, I'm mixing my metaphors, when he throws his hat in the ring uh, in the coming weeks, um, what is the best-case scenario for Emmanuel Macron to regain the confidence of the electorate? And indeed, what is the worst-case scenario for Macron heading into these elections in April? I would say the best scenario would be that uh, he's able to uh, uh, keep the, the situation that he made with his election, which is he's gathering all the, uh, I would say, the traditional parties, the, the centrist party, centre-left and centre-right together. And he has these voters who are pro-European, uh, uh, pro-business uh, with him and, and against the populist movement, which is clearly now uh, in the end of uh, Marine Le Pen um, and so he's going to have a, a second run against Marine Le Pen. If he's able to do that and to uh, really uh, keep this uh, 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 this picture of the French political system with him as the uh, uh, reasonable candidate against the uh, populist, uh, it's the best scenario. The worst would be that the conservative candidate uh, Valérie Pécresse is able to win a uh, uh, her fight against Le Pen and is able to qualify for the second round. Yeah. I think if Le Pécresse is going on the second round, she has a pretty good chance to beat Macron. Be why? Because Macron has this strange situation, uh, probably uh, as an incumbent, uh, very strong uh, support of a, a small base, 25-30% of the population, but also a lot of people who hate him. And I think that if he's not against Le Pen on the second round, it's probably... Uh, uh, what will happen is that a, a lot of people will vote to change Macron and to beat Macron. And, for example, uh, traditional uh, far-right uh, far voters are not in favor of Pécresse, are not convinced by Pécresse. They think she's too moderate, she's too centrist. Mm -hmm. But I think they would prefer to uh, beat Macron 
uh, and have Pécresse elected than uh, to let Macron be re-elected for a second term. So Pécresse is the one to watch in the coming weeks, it would appear. Bruno Jean-Bart, Vice President of Opinion Way, thank you very much for being on the programme today. Thank you. And thank you for logging on to Paris Perspective. You can access all our episodes on RFI English forward slash podcast. And indeed, wherever you get your podcasts, I'm David Coffey, and I'll be back in two weeks' time with the next edition of Paris Perspective.